Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Creative Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, we are doing our week three fantasy football waiver wire breakdown. I go through all my notes at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end for all types of leagues, not just your deep leagues, but definitely your home leagues, your 10-teamers, you know, uh, things that are a little bit more shallow. Uh, I, I definitely have gotten a little bit of feedback that uh, people are, are not super, super into, you know, your uh, your your Grant Calcaterra ads and, and things like that. So we're going to go through quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Obviously, this week, not quite as much on the waiver wire. You know, we don't have a Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua situation, but there is at least one guy who's out there in a decent amount of leagues who I think you're going to have to, you know, pretty much break the bank for. So let's go ahead and start at quarterback. Deeper leagues, I do think Gardner Minshew is worth adding in week three. Uh, he was pretty efficient in his uh, you know, in his role coming from behind for the Indianapolis Colts. They are big dogs against the Ravens this upcoming week. Minshew has a pretty long track record of being decent in this Shane Steichen offense. I don't think you have to spend more than like 3 to 4% on him. He's not a multi-week answer. Anthony Richardson should, I mean, Anthony Richardson could play in week three. We'll see what ends up happening there. He left in week two with self-reported concussion symptoms. Minshew obviously not going to run a ton, but the the passing volume should be pretty good. And like, he's just fine. You know, I mean, Minshew is a perfectly fine fantasy football quarterback. Some of the other guys in deeper leagues, I think CJ Stroud and Mac Jones, I lumped them together in my notes this week because they're sort of the same deal. Uh, Stroud is running a little bit, seven rushes through two games, but the passing volume has just been really strong for each of these guys. Jones has a league leading 96 pass attempts through two games. I don't think you're going to want to start him against the Jets. That should be a lower scoring game. I don't think we will see Stroud, you know, drop back 50 times in that game, but he will be a big underdog against the Dallas Cowboys in week four. We could easily see 40 plus pass attempts there. I definitely do prefer Stroud though. He's got over 40 attempts in each of his first two games. The Texans have really just been letting it fly and he plays against the Jacksonville Jaguars this week, a spot where the Texans should again be down pretty much a touchdown from the jump. Um, So these are like deep league, you know, for example, I prefer every guy I just mentioned, Minshew, Stroud, and Jones to guys like Kenny Pickett, you know, some of these, there were some quarterbacks who we maybe thought like, okay, that guy's gonna take a leap this year, and the leap has really not happened. Some other guys on the watch list, Matt Stafford, really strong volume. Obviously, he's been feeding Puka Nakua through two weeks, but, uh, you know, Stafford's not going to run at all. They've been running a lot in 
the red zone. So that's another thing. You know, if those Kyron Williams touchdowns turned into Matt Stafford touchdowns, that will obviously shift the value there. And then Desmond Ritter did have 10 rushes in week two. So that is something to uh, that's something to pay attention to is that if the team does get down, I think we will see him scramble a little bit more and they play at the Lions this week could easily be another spot where the Falcons actually have to play from behind and Ritter ends up posting some good fantasy numbers. All right, running back. This is the headline here. We've got two headliners. The first being Jerome Ford. Whatever you have left in fab, I think you'll need to spend to acquire Ford. Nick Chubb is going to be out for the year. The Browns running back the depth chart behind Ford, razor thin. It's uh, it's pretty much just Pierre Strong, who has not even been on the team that long. And I really think they just traded for him for special team stuff. The other running backs on the depth chart, uh, they have two guys on their practice squad. They've got Hassan Hall, and actually they even cut... John Kelly outright, so it's just all. Now, they will probably bring in Leonard Fournette or Kareem Hunt. However, I don't care. I think he's likely going to be the best running back pickup of the year in leagues where he is available. Right now, in Yahoo and ESPN formats, he is only rostered in about 15% of leagues. I think you can go to 80 85% on him, no problem. Even if the Browns bring in a veteran, the Browns have been so run-heavy through two games because Deshaun Watson has played so poor. I just I don't really think they have any choice but to not give Jerome Ford something like Nick Chubb's workload. I feel incredibly good about him. He was a great runner at the University of Cincinnati, one of my favorite picks in the offseason and these best ball drafts, and it looks like it's going to pay off. I also think you can add Pierre Strong for for pretty much pennies. You know, I mean, I think you could probably get him for something like 5% of your bids, uh, 5% of your budget up to this point. And that feels that feels pretty fine to me. You know, I mean, he basically slides into the Jerome Ford role. Next up, Saquon Barkley is going to miss three weeks reportedly with this ankle injury. So we've got Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell, and Eric Gray on the Giants' depth chart. They feel less likely to add a veteran because they already have Matt Breida in there. What's the difference between Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, and Matt Breida? It doesn't really feel like there is one. So Breida has been the next man up behind Barkley over the last year, but he's 28 years old. He has not had over 74 touches since 2019. Gary Brightwell has been active over Eric Gray, the fifth-round rookie out of Oklahoma. But I think that special teams related, you know, Brightwell is a is a core special teamer. Gray is actually pretty interesting to me. Uh, his final season at Oklahoma after transferring from Tennessee, 213 carries, 1,300 rushing yards, 6.4 yards per carry, 11 touchdowns. Maybe the more intriguing thing is that Gray had 99 receptions across four seasons at uh, both Tennessee and Oklahoma. He really was sort of a passing down specialist. That feels like probably the role you maybe even want in this offense. And obviously, Breida has been the passing down guy thus far for the New York Giants. But if one of these guys, Breida, Gray, or Brightwell, is likely to earn all three downs, to me, I feel like Gray would be the most efficient one at that. Now, obviously, Breida is the one you're bidding on. I don't want to go too crazy on him, honestly. I mean, I think that this situation is probably more fragile than the market is going to acknowledge. You know, I think the market is probably going to go pretty nuts on Brita, but they play the 49ers in their game this upcoming week. It's on Thursday night. Now, that will not be enough time 
to get Eric Gray up to speed, obviously, as a fifth-round rookie. So I'm going to anticipate, you know, 18 or so touches for Breida against the 49ers. I don't know how effective he's going to be. Obviously, he will rank as a running back, too. He's going to rank as a starter. But I'm probably not spending more than 20% or so on Breida. I, I just I don't feel that good about it. The chances of him being a huge difference make her feel low. I'd rather go, you know, five to eight percent on Gray. I think you can go like one or two percent on Brightwell. Brightwell is just not a guy that I think is very good. He's been in the NFL for a while. Uh, he graduated college in 2020. Never had more than 500 rushing yards in college. Like played at Arizona. He just he's just like the most average guy. I'm just not that into Brightwell, and I don't think he'll play very much. But uh, that's that's how I view it. 20% or so on Brita, 5 to 8% on Gray, 1 to 2% on Brightwell. I just, I really, the only one I think you would feel comfortable starting, if Brita gets 18 touches against the 49ers, obviously you're going to start him and you're going to feel good starting him the next week against the Seahawks or against the Dolphins on October 8th. I, I think that's a fine way to pursue it. Uh, these are guys who need to be owned in your 12-team league in order of my preference. Roshan Johnson, Dante Foreman was inactive in week two. They played the Chiefs this week. Ty Chandler, I think that with Alexander Madison just continuing to have no explosiveness, I do wonder if they end up going to Chandler. Justice Hill, uh, make sure Kendra Miller, if he's been dropped in your league, that you're adding him. Jamal Williams got banged up in week two. Tony Jones Jr. scored two touchdowns, but Miller, the third-round rookie, explosive guy, should be pretty close to full health after his preseason injuries. I, I do think he might get an audition here in week three. And then Gus Edwards. Next up, we have Craig Reynolds. David Montgomery is expected to miss multiple weeks, as we saw last year with Swift. The coaches in Detroit are pretty comfortable keeping the space back in a consistent role and then not expanding that role, even when the lead rusher is not playing or not playing well. Gibbs should get to about 50% or so of the line snaps, and he's going to get all of the targets. But Reynolds, I do think, is probably going to fill in for Montgomery's 18.5 touches per game. Not going any higher than like 8, 9, 10% on Reynolds. You got to be really desperate for running back help. Uh, the Lions called up Zonovan Knight from the practice squad. He might even get a crack at some of the early network. I mean, we saw uh, uh, Justin Jackson playing in that role for the Lions last year, even when DeAndre Swift was healthy. Reynolds is also a core special teamer, so that's why he's been active. I think mean, honestly, maybe if it's if if you made me choose between ten percent on Reynolds and one percent on Knight, I prefer one percent on Knight. Next up is Sean Tucker, keeping him on all my rosters in twelve team formats. Chase Edmonds injured his knee in week two. That leaves Tucker as the only other rusher really on the Bucks roster. Keyshawn Vaughn will be active, unclear how much he will play. Rashad White did have a good game against the Bears, but that's like the easiest thing to do in football right now. Tucker I think is an efficient runner. And if we see more of Rashad White like he played in week one than he played in week two, I can easily see White actually moving more to like third downs and Tucker being the favored early down rusher. Some watch list guys. I think Devin Achain, Devon Achain was probably dropped in a lot of 12 teamers, but Savan Ahmed 
got injured. I think we should see more A-chain in Week 3. I also think it would be helpful for him in a weird way if Jalen Waddle misses because that offense will just need more playmakers, and that is what uh, A-chain is. Dearness Johnson played ahead of Tank Bigsby against the Chiefs. Don't anticipate a huge role for him there. Travis Etienne did get some cramps, so maybe we see some more of Dearness Johnson against the Texans. Latavius Murray has been the green zone back for Buffalo, the oldest running back in the NFL. Probably does need to be rostered in main event style contests, you know, 12-teamers with 20-man rosters. I was so excited to drop Rashad Penny, and in fact, I preemptively dropped him after that Thursday night shit show, but Boston Scott suffered as a concussion. Kenneth Gainwell still has the rib injury. Could actually see the Eagles end up playing Penny after throwing him in the garbage, which is crazy. Jaleel McLaughlin scores the green zone touchdown in week two. You know, he is playing behind two very good running backs in P. Ryan and Javante Williams, but an injury to either one of those guys would lead him in a very fantasy-friendly offense for running backs. And then Elijah Dotson played ahead of Isaiah Spiller. Eckler is probably out for multiple weeks. Joshua Kelly just did not play well against the Titans. Um, We'll see if he retains that crazy... I think he played 79% of the snaps. We'll see if he keeps that. But Dotson is a pretty good sneaky bid. Wide receiver, Josh Reynolds. We knew that the Lions needed someone to stretch the field for Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam Laporta. Those guys are underneath wide receivers. Jamison Williams is still suspended for another month. That role has fallen to Reynolds. Marvin Jones's targets went to zero against the Seahawks, and Reynolds has at least six targets in each of the Lions' first two games. I wouldn't go super nuts on Reynolds because he's really just touchdown dependent, but I do think he is worth rostering in 12-teamers. Tutu Atwell needs to be rostered your fantasy football wide receiver 16 after two weeks, a clear rock-solid role in the Rams offense. Top wide receiver out of the week for me, Tank Dell. He, I think you can actually spend like 15 to 20% on him. I, I feel pretty bullish on Dell. He had a 24% target share, led the team in targets in week two after Noah Brown went on the IR. Uh, my friend John Daigle reported in his waiver wire call this week that going back to the preseason, Dell has a 27% targets per route run dating back to that preseason. Dell had 3,100 yards and 32 touchdowns in three seasons at the University of Houston. And really the big... Uh, this should be the the headline, which is that these small, quick wide receivers, these are these used to be guys who were bad for fantasy. We did not like these guys five, six, seven, eight years ago. But the NFL needs this guy now. The you know, with with the the two eye safeties and with so much of the offense happening in front of the defense, these shifty small wide receivers are just easier to complete passes to. The other thing is the Texans have been very aggressive throwing the ball when they've been down in these games. So I just am not worried about Tank Dell, you know, getting Drake London or whatever, where the Texans are throwing 21 passes, even in these losses. I think any wide receiver needy team needs to spend real fab dollars on Tank Dell this week. For example, I like Dell more than Jaden Reed, who did score two touchdowns. The Packers have been heavily rotating their wide receivers. I think Christian Watson's return to the lineup will be worse for Reed than it will be for Romeo Dobbs. However, Reed has gotten the more fantasy-friendly targets, more red zone targets, higher average depth of target than Dobbs. Um, 
you know, but Green Bay's just been rotating so heavily. Still pretty bullish on Luke Musgrave. Watson is returning, not breaking the bank for Jaden Reed. He's fine if he's out there in your league. Braxton Berrios seems like he will be the replacement for Jalen Waddle. He's in the concussion protocol. Uh, Berrios has run 46 routes to 24 for River Crackraft. Berrios has actually had stretches of being useful in fantasy for the Jets. You know, I mean, I I, I think that Berrios is sort of like your prototypical NFL slot wide receiver. I, I think he, I think he is a, uh, in, in the words of myself from the preseason, I think he's a perfectly cromulent wide receiver. Some of the results he had for the Jets, 12 targets, 8 receptions, 65 yards in week 17 in 2021, 8 targets, 34, or 11 targets, 8 receptions, 34 yards against the Chiefs. Obviously, these are all in losses. He actually has a, he actually had a, a two touchdown game in there. Like, I, I think he's fine. Um, very sneaky start, and you should be able to get him for like, I don't know, two percent of your budget or whatever some sneaky guys do well not even sneaky but just make sure these guys are rostered in your somewhat deep 12 teamers Marvin Mims only six routes in a uh, two catch 113 yard one touchdown game I do think that production will earn him more playing time Darius Slayton and Jalen Hyatt Hyatt actually led the Giants in receiving think he is going to be a full-time player sooner rather than later Devontae Parker did not play in week one, but had 100% route participation in week two. Jalen Tolbert played ahead of Michael Gallup in week two against the Jets with Brandon Cooks out. And then Josh Downs, I think he's going to see a good little volume increase with Gardner Minshew at the quarterback. Uh, and I, I really like his talent. I think Josh Downs is pretty good. Finally, tight end, Hunter Henry. If he's not owned in your league, go get him. Honestly, if you have a league with trades, like go trade for this guy. I think he's probably a top 10 tight end for the rest of the way. Some of the guys I mentioned last week still need to be rostered in 12-teamers. Jake Ferguson, he did split time a little bit with Hendershot and Schoonmacher, but the Cowboys, have the scores have just been weird for their first two games. Let's see what happens when they play in a more pass-heavy script. I think Ferguson, my bet is on Ferguson as the receiving tight end. Zach Ertz, uh, look, it doesn't make me that happy. But his role is so good in this Arizona offense, like close to the line of scrimmage. You're going to get 10 points in PPR for him a lot of the time. Durham Smythe leads the Dolphins in routes thus far. Jalen Waddle's banged up. His route share is going to continue. Luke Musgrave upped his route participation to 83% in Week 2. That's going to translate into more targets when the Packers actually have to throw the ball more. Uh, Dawson Knox. The Bills are are very serious about this 11.5 personnel being their base set. Knox has actually drawn the higher value targets than Kincaid. Had a touchdown against the Raiders, almost had two, one bounced off his hands. If Deontay Hardy and Trent Shurfield are just going to be like accessories for the Bills offense, Knox and Kincaid are honestly both, you know, weekly starters because the thing is, there are so few good passing offenses in the NFL right now that just having a guy like Knox, who is probably on the waiver wire in quite a few leagues, like he's just going to have a weekly chance of getting 14 PPR points because the Bills are actually serious about throwing the ball. Kate Otten, the Buccaneers offense actually looked a little bit better than we anticipated in the offseason. 
Otten is third on the team in routes, 76% route share up to this point because Trey Palmer and Devin Tompkins are splitting the slot work. I, I like to think of it as Otten is basically the Zach Ertz or Jake Ferguson, but on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Very deep league ads, Cole Turner and John Bates split routes. They each had eight after Logan Thomas suffered a concussion in week two. Kylan Granson has a 14% target share. Uh, there's going to be more volume with Anthony Richardson out. Uh, I think this guy Drew Ogletree missed week two, but is going to be back in week three. We'll see what that does to Granson's playing time. And then I am still holding Michael Mayer in some spots where I can afford to. Um, his route participation went up to 38%, which Kobe Myers out in week two. He definitely need. I mean, he needs to like double that to become a fantasy starter, but I do feel like these highly drafted young tight ends do have more ceiling than they've shown thus far. That's going to do it for us here at the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast, our week three waiver wire look. As always, you guys can reach out to me on Twitter with questions about your specific leagues. Uh, hope that was useful. Hope that was helpful. Good luck in your bids this week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 